Hallelujah. Tonight's message is called The Accuser, The Advocate, and The Victorious Overcomer. Help me with my title tonight. The Accuser, The Advocate, and The Victorious Overcomer. If you'll go to Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm reading from the New uh, Living Translation tonight. Jeremiah 29 and 11. As I began, it's Mother's Day. I just want to say a word about my sweet mama. My sweet mama went home to be with the Lord in October uh, 1984. This, this coming October will be 39 years. So essentially 38 years ago, my sweet mama went home to be with the Lord. But she taught me lessons of a lifetime. And, uh, and uh, one of the things my mama taught me is how to treat people and how to be fair and... and um, and how to be considerate of others. She was very, very uh, big on that. And uh, I've told this story before, but it bears, I could tell so many stories about my mama, of course. Uh, but uh, I, I, well, the story, I, I, I could tell you this story. I almost told you this story. But one time my mom was sick and she had to go to Walter Reed Hospital. And, uh, you know, my dad had been in the military 20 years, so my parents had... Uh, military health benefits. And so whenever my mom got sick, then she got to go to Walter Reed Army Hospital. Now, I don't know if that's where they take care of the president today, but back then, uh, in, in the uh, 70s and 80s, that's the same hospital where the president was cared for. And so, um, so my mom, she was uh, ill and um, she was flown to Walter Reed uh, Army Hospital. And um, so um, I, I jumped in a car and I was driving there and they flew my mom there. So she got there way ahead of us. And so when I got there and saw my mom, I said, mom, how are you doing? You know, how was the trip here? And she said, she said, baby, I was queen for a minute. And I said, mom, what are you talking about? And she said, well, the ambulance came to the airport to pick me up and they put me in the ambulance. And she said, no, I didn't know it. But over at the White House, there's some dignitaries over there. And there's a queen of an African country who apparently is in town for a state dinner. The president of the United States is hosting the president and, and the queen or the king and queen of an African country. And, uh, and somewhere along the line, the queen of that African country got sick and they rushed her here to Walter Reed at the same time that, that I was rushed here. And she said, you know, when they pulled up with my ambulance, there were probably five or six ambulances out front. And um, she said, but I noticed there was an unusually high presence of military guards and the pomp and the circumstance and people were standing at attention. And she said, when they opened the door to my ambulance, people were saluting me and they were standing with guns and their soldiers were lined up. And, um, and she said, and, and then all of a sudden, one of the soldiers peeked inside. He looked at me and said, fool, that ain't the queen. And then they ran off to the next ambulance. <laughs> So she said, I was queen for a minute. I can think of so many stories of my mama. But the one I, the one I wanted to tell you, I, I, I debated about telling well, I actually told you, right? So, but the one I really wanted to tell you about my mom was about just how kind and caring she was and how she taught me to be that way. And I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating. My, I was playing in the yard one day and some group of my friends were over. And one young man, we weren't best of friends, but he lived in the neighborhood. And, and certainly we saw him, you know, not every day, but... but uh, we saw him on a regular basis, and, and uh, this young man, uh, he was my age. He was real tall, though. He was head and shoulders, literally, taller than the rest of us. We were the same age, but, but uh, he was someone who would be seven feet tall today. You know, he was just, 
He was just extremely, and he was skinny as a rail. And, um, and his name, well, you know, we always called him Snuffy. And we were out in the yard playing. And uh, whole group, you know, there's probably 15 kids in, in our front yard playing. And my mom was just watching from the front door. And I never forget, I heard her voice call to me, Bill, come over here. And so when I got over there to the door, she said, who, who is that young man right there? And she's pointing to the person I knew as Snuffy. And uh, that's what I told her. I said, his name is Snuffy. She said, that is not his name. I said, it is too, Mom. His name is Snuffy. And she said, well, why do you call him that? And um, I said, well, there's always dried snot around his nose. He never wipes his nose good. And even now, his nose has dried snot around it, and everybody calls him Snuffy. And my mom said, you will not call him that. And I said, Mom, he calls himself Snuffy. If... And she said, I don't care what he called. You will never call him that again. So she said, do you understand me? You're going to call him by. She said, what's his real name? And um, so I think either I, I said or my mom, somewhere either I told her or I think I told her his name was Clarence, but nobody calls him Clarence, mom. He will not. So anyway, so my mom, the next thing I know, she calls, she starts calling. She said, young man, young man. She's pointing to Snuffy. And she says, come over here. And he said, me, ma'am. And she said, yeah, come over here. So he got over there and he's looking down on my mom. And he said, yes, ma'am. And she said, what's your name? And he said, Snuffy. And she said, that is not your name. She said, what is your name? He said, well, ma'am, my name is Snuffy. She said, what name did your mom? His, his mother had died and his father was raising, I think it was six boys. And his father worked all the time. And so the boys were just always unkept and the dad was doing the best he could. And uh, but with no mom at home, those boys were just out fending for themselves, you know. And so my mom said, what's the name your mama gave you? And so he said, well, my mom's not living. So he said, well, what? He said, my mom said, what name did she give you? And he said, Clarence. So she said, oh, so you have a name, Clarence. So she said, son, stop calling yourself Snuffy. And she got a tissue and she said, here, I want you to wipe your nose. And she said, I want you to carry your, I noticed when you're going around, I notice your head's always down, your shoulders are slumped. And my mom said, I want you to believe in yourself and I want you to hold your head high and I want you to lift your shoulders back and I want you to call yourself Clarence. Don't call yourself Snuffy. And he said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And every time that I ever saw him after that, he called himself Clarence. And I didn't want my mama to whack me in the head, so I called him Clarence too. (laughs) But my mom had that kind of consideration and kindness. And everywhere I went, if ever I saw Snuffy, he always said, how's your mom's? He'd say that plural, you know, how's your mom's? And he'd say, tell your mom's. I said, hello. And I said, I'll tell her Clarence, you know. And I'd go home and say, mom, Clarence said hello. And she'd just smile and ask how he was doing. My mom had that kind of kindness. And as Pastor Craig preached such a great message this morning, if you didn't hear that, you need to hear that message. And he admonished everybody to call Talk to your mom if she, li- she doesn't live here. And uh, I, man, if your mama is living, my mama been gone to heaven, as I say, for 38 years. And uh, if she were here in this earth, I'd give my left arm. Man, please. Your, your mama's alive and you won't talk to her? Please. You better sell that line to somebody else. Talk to somebody whose mama's in heaven. And then you'll learn how to forgive and forget and move forward. Let's go to the Word now. We're in uh, Jeremiah tonight, 
Jeremiah. What did I tell you my title was? I gave my title away early today. The accuser, the advocate, and the victorious overcomer. Thank you, sis. Yes. All right. Uh, Jeremiah 29 at verse 11. We're reading from the New Living Translation. God says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me and I will be found by you, says the Lord. Wow. What a great scripture that reveals the heart, the plan, the desire of God for our lives. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. How many are glad tonight that God has plans for your good? God doesn't have plans for your disaster. God's got plans for your good, praise God. Hallelujah. And he says uh, to give you a future and a hope. Man, in those days, God said, when you pray to me, I'll listen. Well, guess what? We're living in those days. When we pray and talk to God, he will listen to us. And um, so we know God has great, great plans for us. But there is another plan out there for your life and my life, and that's a plan to be avoided, and it's a plan of the enemy. Go to John 10.10. You already know that scripture, John 10.10. That's a plan to be avoided. The enemy's plan. The enemy's plan is to plan, a plan to be avoided. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, there's another plan out there. And, 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 and he identifies Satan as a thief. And he said his purpose or his plan Think about the contrast between God's plan for your life and Satan's plan. The Bible says we better be aware and we better be alert so that we can avoid the enemy's tricks and his traps and his schemes. Because Jesus said here, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. That word thief there, I looked at... uh, up in Greek uh, dictionary, Greek concordance, and um, Rick Renner's sparkling gems of the Greek. You know what it says about this word thief here? It says that word thief is the word, the Greek word klepto. It means to steal something without the person knowing that you stole it. You know, back in, back in the day, if somebody took something back in Jersey, we called him a kleptomaniac. We didn't even know what the word kleptomaniac was. I don't know how we even knew that word. <laughs> But if somebody stole something, we say, what are you, a kleptomaniac? <laughs> but how we, how we knew that word, I don't know. But it was accurate. Here it's saying that the thief is trying to steal something without being caught stealing. It gives the idea of a pickpocket who slips up alongside of someone and they try to pick their pocket without them even knowing And so his plan, he has a disastrous, a disastrous plan, a disastrous plan. Go with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, another familiar scripture, Acts 10, 38. There's a difference between Satan's plans 
for our lives and God's plan. God's got good plans. He's got plans to give us a future and a hope. His plans are not to bring disaster. His plans are to enrich our lives. Uh, Acts 10, uh, 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Man, again, that contrast, that compares and contrasts Satan's plans with God's plans. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He did good. What did he do? He went around healing. Who did he heal? People who were oppressed of the devil. Well, the enemy's oppression can come. His, we were saying just a moment ago, there is no bondage. Thank God. Jesus, Jesus has eradicated the bondage. But there are certain things that we have to do if we're going to walk in victory. But uh, Satan is known as the great accuser. Go with me to the book of Job. Go with me to the book of Job. He's the great accuser. He is the great accuser. An accuser is one who shifts blame and points out blame and who lies and whose motive is to attack. Uh, an accuser is one who, who, uh, who, who points out flaws and, 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 and problems and, and then lies about them. Uh, in Job chapter 1 verse 6, uh, Satan is called there the accuser, the accuser Satan. My, my Bible, the footnote in my Bible says this literally says in the original language, the, the Satan, the Satan. So the word accuser and Satan are the same thing. In other words, the accuser, Satan. That is his MO. That is his modus operandi, if you will. That is his nature and his character to accuse. And then uh, in Job chapter 2, verse 1, it says there uh, that Satan, the accuser, Satan, is listed there again. Did you see that? And then over in, uh, go to Zechariah, go almost to the New Testament. Go to Zechariah chapter 3. Just before you get to Malachi, you'll come to Zechariah. If you go to chapter 3, verse 1. It says there, The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand. Again, Satan is called the accuser, the accuser, Satan. Go with me to uh, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, if you will. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Yeah. 
So over and over, what's your point here? Over and over again, Satan is known as the great accuser. When he accuses, he lies. You don't have to turn here, but you can write it down in, in John 8, 44. Jesus said Satan is a murderer and he's a liar and he's the father of lies, Jesus said about him. Yeah. So Satan's mode, his trick is to accuse with lies. It's to accuse with lies. Over in the New Testament, in Second uh, Corinthians, over in the New Testament in Second Corinthians, it says, uh, verse uh, t- chapter two, verse eleven. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse eleven. It says, "So that Satan will not outsmart us, for for we are familiar with his evil schemes." Yeah, how many know God does not want us to let? Satan outsmart us. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. He has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Let me pause here and say there are really two enemies that we face. Let me talk for a moment about the greatest enemy that we face. The greatest enemy we face is not the accuser, Satan. He is a great enemy of the church, but he's not the greatest enemy. You know why? He's a defeated foe. Satan has already been defeated. And and because he's been defeated, all we have to do is enforce the victory that Christ has already won. Don't get me wrong. He is a great enemy of the church. He is. But let us never forget, he's a defeated enemy of the church. And, and so there's a greater enemy than, than he. So, so let me pause here on that. Let's talk about the greatest enemy to the church. You know what it is? It's our wrong thinking and wrong believing. Wrong thinking and wrong believing are a greater enemy to the church. How could that be? Because what we think on is what we will believe. And what we believe is what we'll have. That means that God, he has to actually get us to change our thinking. Okay, go with me to Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We have to change our thinking. I just said something to you. I just said that the greatest enemy to the church is our own wrong thinking and wrong believing. Because while Satan is a great enemy of the church, no doubt about it. No doubt about that. But the greater enemy is our own wrong thinking and wrong believing. When he can find a brother or a sister who doesn't have correct thinking and believing, then he can just get out of the way and say, nope, just let them handle it. Just let them mess it up because their own wrong thoughts, their own wrong believing will mess them up. We don't have to do anything here. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God wants to change the way that you and I think. Look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter, if you will. 1.13, chapter 1, verse 13. God wants to change, he wants us to change. If, listen, if we're gonna have victory, if we're gonna walk in victory, then we've, we've gotta defeat both enemies. The, the, the one enemy, is wrong thinking and wrong believing. And the other enemy is Satan, the accuser. Thank God, Satan, the accuser, he's already a defeated foe. 
But if we're going to overcome wrong thinking and wrong believing, we have to change the way that we think. Look at 1 Peter 1.13. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Yeah. There's something you and I must do with our minds because if our thoughts and our thinking is wrong, then our believing will be off as well. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse uh, 4 and 5 in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The greater enemy to the church is wrong thinking and wrong believing. Satan is an enemy. He's a great enemy of the church. But thank God Jesus defeated him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Yeah, casting down, capturing rebellious thoughts is an obligation of every believer. Now go with me to John. You say, you sure give me a lot of scripture tonight. (laughs) Well, you know, the word is our covenant. The word is what we have to stand on. So you write quickly, John 14, John 14, if you will, John 14, 16. We've talked about the accuser. I showed you places in scripture where Satan is called the, the accuser. Uh, He's a liar, a murderer, but uh, we have a great advocate. Aren't you glad for that? We have a great advocate who's defeated Satan, who's put Satan under feet, underfoot, and all we have to do is enforce the victory that Jesus has already won for us. If we'll enforce that victory, there's no way he can get any advantage over us, praise God. After Jesus taking on a robe of flesh, after Jesus coming into this world, humbling himself to assume a human body, after Jesus suffering, paying our penalty, dying on the cross, He wants you and I to take advantage of every benefit he's paid for with the efficacy of his blood. And John 14, verse 16, in the New Living, it says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. There, the New Living calls the Lord Jesus an advocate. It's the same word used for comforter. And it means uh, um, uh, a a helper. Uh, It means an encourager. It means a consoler. Uh, But here he's called the great advocate. An advocate is one who pleads the case of another. An advocate is one who takes the case of another and pleads their case. Jesus is our advocate. There's a great accuser out there, but oh, thank God, nobody's greater than the great advocate. Hallelujah. In John 14, 26, look at that. John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. There he's called an advocate. You and I have a great advocate. Glory to God. There's no more bondage. Why? Christ has defeated all of the bondage. Christ has overcome all of the bondage. And in his name and with his his authority, we triumph as he triumphed. Praise God. In in, uh, John 15, 26, look at John 15, 26. The scripture says here, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the father and testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry, he said to his disciples. But there, 1526, I will send you the advocate. Yeah. And then look at 16, John 16, verse 7. 
But in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. He's the great advocate. Look at verse uh, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. You've got an advocate on the inside of you and he will guide you, praise God. He will tell you about the future, uh, 13 says. Um, so we've got an advocate. One more. Look at uh, uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. Christ is our great He's our great advocate. Aren't you glad about that? Praise God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who does what? He pleads our case before the Father. Aren't you glad about that? So even though Satan is a great accuser, God doesn't want us to fall prey to his schemes. Why? Because we have a great advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, you see, with all that Christ has done for us, Christ has won the victory for us. And if we're going to walk in that victory, then we have to follow the road of 214. You know what I mean by that? (laughs) First, uh, 2 Corinthians 214. Look at 2 Corinthians 214 with me. 2 Corinthians 214. Christ, our great advocate, he's already won the battle. He's already won the victory. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, praise God. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 says, but thank God he's made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Do you know that God has made us to, to be a part of Christ's triumphal procession? You know, watching uh, any type of uh, sporting events, uh, they're all leading to a crescendo of, a, of um, you know, the, basket, the NBA will finally end in the finals or uh, there's golf championships, whatever you watch, there's a championship there. When they get done, whoever wins, they have their own triumphal procession. Those who were fans get to watch it, but they don't get to be a part of it. But in the body of Christ, we are a part of Christ's triumphant procession, praise God. We share the victory that he won. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Hallelujah. We're part of the victory. We share the victory. That's why there's no bondage. (laughs) The 2.14, 2 Corinthians 2.14, man, uh, Christ has won the victory. Look over at Colossians 2.14. That was 2 Corinthians 2.14. Go with me to Colossians, if you will. Colossians 2.14. says he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. 15 says in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Christ has won the victory for you and I. There is a great accuser out there, but the accuser has no right to trespass on the redeemed of the Lord. Praise God. Why? Because we have an advocate who's taken up our case. (laughs) And at Satan's accusation, our advocate says, no, no, those accusations can't stick. Those charges can't stick because the blood has been applied and they've been freed. Glory to God. (laughs) There's no more bondage. There's no more guilt. You know what Satan traffics in? Satan traffics in guilt and in shame. 
He loves to make people feel guilt, to make people feel shame. He'll show you a picture of something that you did. He'll try to make you feel unrighteous. He'll try to make you feel unholy. Listen, one drop of the blood of Jesus has remitted all of our sins away. Aren't you glad for the power? There's still power in the blood. Glory to God. And when Satan tries to bring an accusation, look what you did. Look how you came up short. He'll try to make you feel unrighteous. He'll try to make you feel you're not healed. He'll try to make you feel you're not blessed. He'll try to make you feel you have no will. He'll try to make you, whatever Christ has done, Satan will try to make you feel guilt and shame that you don't deserve it. But God, he put a robe of righteousness on you. I said, God put a ring of authority on your finger. I said, the blood of Jesus has been applied to you and I, and there is therefore now no more condemnation. There's no more bondage. There's no more sadness. When, we, when you really think about who we are in Christ, there's no more sadness because whatever's making you sad, whatever's affecting you, if you'll meditate and stay with what God has done, there's no way the victory won't come to you. Jesus said, the Bible says here, he canceled out the record of the charges that were against us. Glory to God. Gee, anybody glad about that? Anybody glad we have an advocate? He can't, what have you done? It doesn't matter. The, the, the question is, have you repented? Now, if you haven't repented, then that's what you need to do. Glory to God. But if you've repented, then the, 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 then, then the decrees against you, then the record against you has all been canceled out by the blood. Glory to God. And now tonight, he sees you and I through the blood. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 2.14, Colossians 2.14. How about Hebrews? Let's go to Hebrews 2.14. Praise God. Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Did you see what we just read there? Did did your eyes see what we just read there? It says that Christ, by dying, he broke the power of the devil. Glory to God. And that's good news. (laughs) He broke the power of the devil over your mind. He broke the power of the devil over your body. He broke the power of the devil over over your finances. He broke the power of the devil over your family. He broke the power. I wish I had an amen in here. He broke the power of the devil over your life. Glory to God. And God is waiting for you and I to agree with that. And when we hook up with all that Christ has done and make that our confession, because that's how we partake uh, uh, by faith. The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3, 11, Romans 1, 7. Uh, we, we, how do we operate? We do things by faith and we inherit the promises of God by faith. We enact those promises by faith. Glory to God. And so there is a real accuser out there and he is lying. And so many unwitting believers stop to listen for a moment to his lies. He'll tell you you're unwanted. He'll tell you that you're unloved. He'll tell you that you're not going to make it. He'll tell you about your failures. He'll tell you where you went wrong. 
He'll tell you that you're not going to get through this situation that you may be facing. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. You have an advocate who's already taken your case to the father and he's already pledged your case on your behalf and the victory is yours. Glory to God. And so we sang the song. Some people sing the song. Well, there's no more bondage, every chain broken. There's no more bondage, every chain. Hey, there's no more bondage. The blood of Jesus has been applied. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> What's wrong with your mind? Jesus has paid the price to free you. There's no more penalty for sin when we accept God's offer of forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's his kindness that calls us to repentance. And all you and I have to do when we make a mistake is use our spiritual bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Glory be to God. The blood has already been applied. But wrong thinking, wrong believing have kept many a believer from receiving their inheritance, from receiving their benefits that have already been paid for in Christ. Don't let wrong thinking, wrong believing be your enemy. Don't let wrong thinking and wrong believing cause you to forfeit the blessings and the promises and the inheritance that Christ has paid for you and I. We have to cast down wrong thoughts. Tomorrow when you wake up, you may feel unrighteous. You may feel unholy. It doesn't matter what you feel. It only matters what Jesus did. Glory to God. God never told us to rely on our feelings. He told us to rely on the authority of the Christ and the authority of his word. Praise God. And so there is an accuser out there, but he's already been defeated and he's already been put underfoot. Glory to God. Don't let him lie to you. Hallelujah. The victory's already been won. Price has already been paid. The victory has already been accomplished. Glory to God. And if we'll stand in faith on what Christ has done, God will lead us to victory again. And again, the Bible says overwhelming victory again and again and again. Let's pray. Father, we've endeavored in this time to remind our friends that even though there is an accuser out there, there are two enemies to the church, wrong thinking, wrong believing, and the accuser, the liar, the murderer, Satan. Oh, but Father, thank you that you've already given us victory over Satan. Thank you that Christ defeated him. Christ put him underfoot. And then he gave his authority to the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And now we enact that victory by faith. Father, speaking and believing, believing with the heart, your promises, speaking with the mouth, your your word. Father, thank you for healing tonight. Thank you for correcting wrong thinking. Someone's had the wrong thought in their mind. They've been listening to the accuser. They didn't even realize it. He's picked their pocket. The thief has picked their pocket and they didn't even realize it. They've been dwelling on wrong thoughts, unrighteousness, thoughts of defeat. The thief picked their pocket. But oh, tonight... We've exposed that lying, murdering thief. Oh, we can get him back underfoot where he's supposed to be. Glory to God. And then we can control our thoughts and our thinking so that we'll be believing and speaking the right thing. 
Father, we thank you that victory has already been won for the church. You want every member of the church to experience that victory because Christ paid the highest price that can be paid. So we thank you. Correct wrong thinking tonight. Someone's had wrong thinking, wrong thinking, wrong thoughts about themselves, wrong thoughts about someone else, wrong thinking, wrong believing. Correct that tonight by the power of the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone else has been listening to the accuser instead of listening to the advocate. Correct that tonight, Father. Help people tonight. Heal, change, restore, rebuild, renew, refresh. We'll give you all the glory for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed before we go, you may be here, and maybe you need to get things right with God tonight. You know what's going on in your heart. But if you'll be sincere with God, Jeremiah said, if you'll be sincere, God can see the sincerity of your heart. Now, if you're just playing games, then, well, you're not going to receive. But if you'll be real with God, be sincere with him, he can see, he can, he can see straight past your flesh, he can see right to your heart. If the Holy Spirit's moving upon you that you need to make some things right with God. You need to get your life right with God. I want you to lift your hand and let me pray for you. I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to, there's no condemnation in Christ to those of us who are in Christ. Don't let the enemy traffic you in shame and guilt. Lift your hand. Anybody here tonight, you know you're not living right. You're a Christian, but you're not living right, but you want to make it right. Anybody here tonight, you want to make it right with God? God can see your heart. Anybody here tonight, you're not a Christian, but you want to get born again. You want to get saved. Anybody here like that tonight? We'll pray for you. Oh, Father, thank you. We honor you and bless you and reverence you tonight, giving you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Thank you for helping us to walk in victory today, this week. In every area of our life, you've provided victory. Now, Father, help us to walk in it. Help us to, to dominate what Christ has accomplished. Help us to dominate in that, in our thoughts and, and in, our, in our bodies and, and in all that we do. Help us to walk in the victory of our inheritance. And we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we want to thank you for being so attentive tonight. And uh, we thank you for being here tonight. Uh, don't forget, it's not too late. If you haven't called your mama, go call your mama if you haven't done that. And uh, listen, you'll be here Wednesday night, uh, Hour of Power. Did we have any first-time guests? No? Okay, so anyway, God bless you one and all. We'll see you on Wednesday. God bless you.